rte.ie forward slash drama on one. Drama on One is offered as a podcast at rte.ie forward slash drama on one and of course here on RTE Radio One on Sunday nights. And for the month of October, we're hosting a season of Samuel Beckett's writings, including What, A Piece of Monologue, All That Fall, and tonight's featured work, The Old Tune. Each work is introduced by Jerry Jukes, whose stage adaptation with Barry McGovern of Beckett's post-war trilogy of novels as I'll Go On has played all around the world. Tonight, Jerry focuses on The Old Tune by Samuel Beckett, adapted from the radio play La Manivelle by Robert Panget. Interestingly, the, the old tune is not described as a translation. It's described as an adaptation of a play by Robert Panget, who was an acquaintance of Beckett's. In fact, I think he was a good friend. Panget had written a radio play called La Manivelle. The word in French means crank, as in a crank that you would crank a bicycle with, or it opens with a barrel organ. And of course, a barrel organ is driven mechanically by a crank, turning the, the drum to make music. And... What Beckett has done with it is to adapt the play for two old cranks, two elderly gentlemen who are committed to reminiscence and gossip. Panger was a parallel to Beckett. He was a French-speaking Swiss national who moved to Paris because the centre of culture was Paris. Uh, He was a novelist and a playwright. There is some suggestion that he gave Beckett some support during his struggles with translation from French into English and English into French for some of the more difficult theatrical pieces in the late 50s, early 60s. And Beckett was a promoter of Panger's work. Any American academic that came to you would always recommend Panger's work. So he brought Panger's French language work into English, but he played fast and loose with it obviously with permission, because the two characters in that play, Cream and Gorman, they're both ex-servicemen. They've served in the First World War. Survivors of the First War who were Irish weren't particularly welcome back in Ireland post-1916, and quite a few of them stayed on in Britain. Beckett had, memorably, he described two of his uncles on his father's side, I believe it was, who were survivors of the war and, quote, they shared one leg between them. So they were obviously both in the infantry. And, of course, being in the infantry in the First World War was the deadliest place to be, particularly if you happen to be in the place called Wipers or Ypres or anywhere on the Western Front. And, of course, that devastation... That world. There's a suppressed reference to Picardy in Endgame. In Endgame, uh, Clove, the manservant, uh, one of the things he does every morning is when he unveils Ham and the parents in the dustbins and he then checks the landscape. He gets a stepladder, that is a comic business with the stepladder and a telescope and he checks the landscape and he describes it on one occasion as corpsed, which sounds to me like post-war Picardy, or even post-war Saint-Lô, for that matter, where Beckett served as an orderly ambulance driver, general factotum, in the Irish Red Cross Hospital in that devastated town in Normandy. This adaptation is very interesting in other respects as well. Because Beckett simply uses Le Manivelle to jump into something entirely different. The two characters, Cream and Gorman, these elderly gentlemen, one of them is living with his daughter and he complains bitterly about the fact that she discourages him from smoking and steals his cigarette lighter and all, all that kind of carry on. He lives with her because he is a widower. The other character... His wife is still alive, but she's still in it, as, as, as it's put. In fact, the play is an extraordinary deployment of Hiberno-English, which, of course, is, in many respects, Beckett's native language. 
it's the English spoken in Ireland. And of course, he had particular exposure to it, I would think. Now, I can't cite chapter and verse on this, but he grew up in a very comfortable suburban home with a father, uh, a professional quantity surveyor, hence the rather magnificent house at Kuldrina in, in Fox Rock with a gardener and a live-in nanny who was invariably a young woman from, let's call them, the provinces, whose native language would have been Hiberno-English. So it is, it's the language that he grew up with. He was a gifted linguist. That gift also allowed him to deploy his Hiberno-English. And the two characters in the old tune are resident in Britain, but they haven't given up their language and they've maintained their accents. They both have faulty memories. If we look at a brief passage from near the close of the play, there's talk about a Miss Victoria. It's a name to conjure with. Her initials are on some of the post boxes in Dublin still. V-R, and later post boxes have G-R on them, and then they become P. August T. No recollection. Miss Victoria, come on now. She must have married an American, and she's in the turrets yet. I thought they'd sold. Sell the tourists, is it? Well, they'll never sell. The family seat three centuries and maybe more. Three centuries, Mr. Cream. You might be their historiographer, Gorman, to hear you talk. What you don't know about those people. Historiographer? No, Mr. Cream. I wouldn't go as far as that, but Miss Victoria right enough. I know her through and through and stop and have a gas like when her aunt was still in it. Ah, yes. Nothing hoity-toity about Miss Victoria. You can take my word, she is a great chip of the old block. Hadn't she a brother? The lieutenant, yes, died in fourteen wounds. There you have it. It's conversational. It's deeply rooted in historical realities. It's in a language that we still speak in this country. And Beckett has been in residence in France and speaking French for 50 odd years at this stage. Well, 40 anyway. And then what happens in the text? Deafening roar of engine. The bloody cars. Such a thing as a quiet chat, I ask you. I'll be slipping along now I'm holding you back from your work. <laughs> Turning a barrel organ on the corner of a, a busy corner intersection on the street. It's an adaptation, but it has been localised to a very specialised location, to the Irish diaspora in Britain that never quite fitted in fully and still doesn't, as far as I know. So the old tune is a fascinating exercise from Beckett. Jerry Dukes there, and Jerry will be back next week to introduce a piece of monologue. Jerry was speaking to Kevin Brew and Tommy O'Sullivan was on sound. Next, we'll hear the old tune by Samuel Beckett, adapted from the radio play La Manivelle by Robert Panget. The play is directed by Connell Morrison and stars Barry McGovern as Cream and Eamon Morrissey as Gorman. Two old acquaintances trade memories, but they can't agree on any of the facts in the dimly remembered past. This is the old tune by Samuel Beckett. again <coughs> cursed bloody music <coughs> ah about time
it isn't. Gorman. My old friend Gorman. Do you recognize me? Cream. Father of the judge. Cream. You remember Cream. Uh, Mr. Cream. <laughs> well, I'll be Mr. Cream. <laughs> Here, sit you down. Sit you down. Here. There. <laughs> Great weather for the time of day, Mr. Cream, eh? My old friend Gorman. <laughs> it's a sight to see you again after all these years. All these years. Yes, indeed, Mr. Cream. Yes, indeed. <laughs> That's the way it is. <laughs> and you, tell me? I was living with my daughter, and she died. And then I came here to live with the other. Miss... Miss... Uh, what? Bertha. You know she got married? Yes, Moody, the nurseryman. Two children. Oh, grand match, Mr. Cream. Grand match. More power to you. But tell me then, the poor soul she was taken then, was she? Malignant. Tried everything. Lingered three years. That's how it goes. The young pop off. And the old hang on. Oh, dear, oh, dear, Mr. Cream. Dear, oh, dear. And you, your wife? Still in it. Still in it. But for how long? Poor Daisy. Yes. Had she children? Three. Three children. Johnny, the eldest. Then Ronnie. Then a baby girl, Queenie, my favourite. Queenie, a baby girl. Darling name. <laughs> She's so quick for her years, you wouldn't believe it. Do you know what she came out with to me the other day? Ah, only the other day. <laughs> Poor Daisy. And your son-in-law? Eh? Oh, dear, oh dear, Mr. Cream. Dear, oh dear. Ah, oh, yes. Children, that's the way it is. They tear you to flitters with their flaming machines. Shocking crossing. Sudden death. As soon as look at you, tear you to flitters. Ah, in our time, Gorman, this was the outskirts. You remember? Peace and quiet. Do I remember? Fields it was. Fields. Bluebells. Over there on the bank. Bluebells. Oh, when you think. Ah, the horses, the carriages, and the barouches. Ah, the barouches. And all that's the dim, distant past, Mr. Cream. And the brooms. Remember the brooms? They were style for you, the brooms. The first car, I remember. I saw it here. Here, on the corner. A pick-pick she was. Not a pick-pick, Gorman. Not a pick-pick. A de-dying button. Ah, a pick-pick. A pick-pick. Don't I remember as well? <sighs> Just as I was coming out of Swans, the booksellers beyond there on the corner. <sighs> Swans, the bookseller that was. <sighs> Just as I was coming out with a rise of fourpence. <laughs> ah, 
There wasn't much money in it in those days. A de dying. A de dying. Uh, you had to work for your living in those days. It wasn't at six you knocked off. No, not at seven neither. Eight it was. Eight o'clock. Yes, by God. Where was I? Ah, oh, yes. Eight o'clock. As I was coming out of Swans, there was the crowd gathered and the car wheeling round the bend. A de-dying, Gorman, a de-dying. I can remember the man himself, from whom he was, the vintner. What's this his name was? Bush. Seymour Bush. Bush. That's the man. <laughs> one way or the other, Mr. Cream, one way or the other, no matter. It wasn't the like of nowadays. They're flaming machines. They'd tear you to shreds. My dear Gorman, do you know what it is I'm going to tell you? All this speed, do you know what it is? Has the whole place ruinated. No living with it anymore. The whole place ruinated, even the weather. Think of the springs in our time. Remember the springs we had, the heat there was in them, and the summers. Remember the summers would destroy you with the heat. Do I remember? <laughs> there was one year back there, seems like yesterday. Must have been around 95 when we were still out at Cruddy. Didn't we water the roof of the house every evening with the rubber jet to have a bit of cool in the night? Yes. Summer, 95. Oh, that would surprise me, Gorman. Remember, in those days, the rubber hose was a great luxury. A great luxury. It wasn't until after the war, the rubber hose. You may be right. No, may be about it. I tell you, the first we ever had round here was in Drummond's place. Old Dad Drummond. That was after the war. 1920, maybe. Still very exorbitant it was at the time. Don't you remember watering out of the can? You must with that bit of a garden you had, didn't you? Wasn't it your father owned that patch out on the Marston Road? The Sheen Road, Mr. Crean. But true for you, the water, and you're right there. <laughs> me and me hose, how are you? When we had no running water at the time. The Sheen Road, that's the one, out beyond Shackleton Sawpit. We didn't get it in till 1925. Now it comes back to me. <laughs> the wash hand basin and jug. <sighs> the Sheen Road. You saw what they've done to that. I was out in it yesterday with the son-in-law. You saw what they've done. Our little gardens and the grand slow hedges. Yes. All those gazebos springing up like thistles. There's trash for you if you like. Collapse if you look at them, am I right? Collapse is the word. When you think of the good stone made the cathedrals, nothing to come up to it. And on top of all, no foundations, no cellars, no nothing. How are you going to live without cellars, I ask you? On piles, if you don't mind. Piles, <laughs> like in the lake age. <laughs> There's progress for you. <laughs> ah, Gorman, you haven't changed the hair. Just the same old wag he always was. <laughs> Getting on for 75, is it? 73. 73. Soon due for the knock. Now, Gorman, none of that, none of that. And me turning 76. You're a young man, Gorman. <laughs> Mr. Cream, always a great one for a crack. <laughs> Here, Gorman, while we're at it, have a fag. Here. The daughter must have whipped them again. Doesn't want me to be smoking. Mind her own damned business. Ah, I have them. Here, have one. Oh, well, I wouldn't leave you short. Short, for God's sake. Here, have one. Uh, they're packed so tight they won't come out. Well, take hold of the packet. Ah, what ails me, your bloody thumbs? Can you pick it up? Yeah. Oh, dear. Here we are. Ah, yes. A nice puff now and again. But it's not what it was. They're gaspers now, not worth a fiddler's. 
Remember in the forces, the Shigel. Remember the Black Shag, uh, that was tobacco for you. Ah, the Black Shag, my dear Gorman, the Black Shag. Fit for royalty, the Black Shag. Fit for royalty. Have your light on you? Well, then I haven't. The wife doesn't like me to be smoking. I must have whipped my lighter too, the bitch. My old tinder jizzer. Ah, well, no matter. I'll keep it and have a draw later on. The bitch! Sure as a gun, she must have whipped it too. That's gone beyond the beyonds, beyond the beyonds. Nothing you can call your own. Perhaps we might ask this gentleman. Beg your pardon, sir. Trouble you for a light. Ah. Uh, the young nowadays, Mr. Cream. Very wrapped up they are, the young nowadays. No thought for the old. When you think. When you think. Where were we? Ah, yes, the forces. You went in in 1900, 1900, 1902, am I right? 1903, 1903. And you, 1906, was it? 1906, yes, at Chatham. The Gunners. The foot, the foot. But the foot wasn't Chatham, you must have been at Kaiserum, Kaiserum the foot. Chatham, I tell you. Isn't it like yesterday? Morrison's pub on the corner. Harrison's? Harrison's Oak Lounge. Do you think I don't know Chatham? I used to go there on holiday with Mrs. Cream. I know Chatham backwards, Gorman, inside and out. Harrison's Oak Lounge on the corner of... What was the name of the street? On a rise it was. That'll come back to me. Do you think I don't know Harrison's Oak Lounge? There on the corner of... Oh, damn it, I'll forget my own name next. And the square. Oh, it'll come back to me. Morrison or Harrison, we were at Chatham. That would surprise me greatly. The Gunners were Chatham. Do you not remember that? I was in the foot at Chatham. In the foot. The foot. That's right, the foot at Chatham. That's what I'm telling you. Chatham. The foot. Oh, that would surprise me greatly. You must have been mucked up at the war, the mobilisation. Ah, the mobilisation. Have a heart. It just cleared in my mind as yesterday, the mobilisation. We were shifted straight away to Chesham. Was it? No, Chester. That's the place. Chester. Uh, there was Morrison's pub on the corner and, and the chambermaid. Oh... Oh, what was her name? Uh, Joan, Jean, Jane. Oh, that, the, the very start of the war, when we still didn't believe it. Ah, <laughs> uh, Chester. Ah, oh, those are happy memories. Happy memories. Happy memories. I wouldn't go so far as that. I mean the start-up. The start-up at Chatham, when we still didn't believe it. And that chambermaid. What was her name? Uh, Come back to me, yes. And your son, by the same token. Hey, Your son, the judge. He is rheumatism. Oh. Rheumatism. Rheumatism runs in the blood, Mr. Cream. What are you talking about? I never had rheumatism. When I think of me, poor old mother... Only 60 and, and couldn't move a muscle. Rheumatism. Oh. They never found the remedy for it yet. 
atom rockets is all they care about. Well, I can thank me lucky stars, touch wood. Your son, yes, he's in the papers, the Carton affair. Oh, the way he managed that case, he can be a proud man. The wife read it again in this morning's lark. What do you mean, the Barton affair? The Carton affair, Mr. Cream. The sex fiend on the Assizes. That's not him. He's not the Assizes my boy isn't. He's the county courts. You mean Judge... Judge... Now, what's this his name was in the Barton affair? I thought it was him. No, certainly not, I tell you. The county courts, my boy, not the Assizes. The county courts. Ah, you know, the, the courts and the assizes, it was always all six and one to me. Ah, but there's a big difference, Mr. Gorman, a power of difference. A civil case and a criminal one. Quite another, how do you do? What would a civil case be doing in the lark, now I ask you? All that machinery, you know, I never got the swing of it, and, and now it, it's all six of one to me. Well, you're never in the courts. I was once, all right. When me niece got her divorce, that was, when was it now, uh, 30 years ago. Yeah, 30 years. I was greatly put about, I can tell you. The poor little thing divorced after two years of married life. Me sister was never the same after it. Divorce is the course of society. You can take it from me. The course of society. Ask my boy if you don't believe me. There I'm with you. The course of society. Look at what it leads up to. When you think me niece had a little girl as good as never knew her father. Did she get alimony? She was put out to board and wasted her way to a shadow. That's a nice thing for you. Did the mother get alimony? Divil the money. So, that's your son ladling out the divorces. As a judge, he must. As a father, it goes to his heart. Has he children? Well, in a way, he had one, little Herbert. Lived to be four months, then passed away. How long is it now? How long is it now? Oh, dear, oh, dear, Mr. Cream. Dear, oh, dear. And did they never have another? Hey, Other children? Didn't I tell you? I have my daughter's children, my two daughters. Talking of that, your man there, Barton, the sex boy, isn't that nice carrying on for you, showing himself off like that without a stitch on him to little children? Might just as well have been ours, Gorman, our own little grandchildren. Mrs. Cream must be a proud woman, too, to be a grandmother. Mrs. Cream is in her coffin these 20 years, Mr. Gorman. God forgive me, what am I talking about? I'm getting you wouldn't know what I'd be talking about. That's right. You were saying you were with Miss Daisy. With my daughter Bertha, Mr. Gorman. My daughter Bertha, Mrs. Rupert Moody. Your daughter Bertha. That's right. So, she married Moody. Gallus garage they have there near the slaughterhouse. Not him. His brother, the nurseryman. Grand, much more power to you. Have they children? Hey, children! Two doughty little boys, little Johnny, I, I mean Hubert, and the other, uh, the other. But tell me, your daughter, poor soul, she was taken then, was she? That cigarette, while we're at it. I might try this, gentlemen. <laughs> yeah. I beg your pardon, sir. I'll trouble you for a light. Ah, uh, oh. uh, the young are very wrapped up, Mr. Cream. Little Hubert and the other. The other. What's this his name is? And Mrs. Gorman? Still in it. Ah, you're the lucky Jim, Gorman. You're the lucky Jim. Mrs. Gorman, by God. Fine figure of a woman, Mrs. Gorman. Fine, handsome woman. Oh, handsome all right. But, you know, age. And we have our health, thanks be to God, Touchwood. 
You know what it is, Mr. Cream. That'll be the way to pop off. Chatting away like this of a sunny morning. None of that now, Gorman. Who's talking of popping off with the health you have as strong as an ox and a comfortable wife? Ah, I'd give ten years of mine to have her back. Do you hear me? Living with strangers isn't the same. Miss Bertha's so sweet and good. You're on the pig's back, for God's sake. On the pig's back. It's not the same. You can take it from me. Can't call your soul your own. Look at the cigarettes. The lighter. Miss Bertha. So sweet and good. Uh, sweet and good, all right. But damn it if she doesn't take me for a doddering old driveling dotard. What did they do with those cigarettes? And tell me... Your poor dear daughter-in-law. Oh, what am I saying? Your daughter-in-law. My daughter-in-law. My daughter-in-law. What about my daughter-in-law? She had private means. It was said she had private means. Private means. Ah, they were the queer private means. All swallowed up in the ward every halfpenny. Do you hear me? All in the bank, the private means. Not as much land as you tether a goat. Land, Gorman. There's no security like land. But that woman, you might as well have been talking to the bedpost. A mule she was, that woman was. Ah, well, it's only human nature. You can't always pierce into the future. Now, now, Gorman, don't be telling me. Land. Wouldn't you live all your life off a bit of land? Damn it now, wouldn't you? Any fool knows that. Unless they take the fantasy to go and build on the moon, the way they say. Ah, that's all fantasy, Gorman. You can take it from me. All fantasy and delusion. They'll smart for us one of these days. By God, they will. You don't believe in the moon, what they're experimenting at. My dear Gorman, the moon is the moon, and cheese is cheese. What did they take us for? Didn't it always exist, the moon? Wasn't it always there as large as life? And what did it ever mean? Only fantasy and delusion, Gorman. Fantasy and delusion. Or is it our forefathers wore a lot of our bags, maybe? Now, is that on the cards, I ask you? Bacon, Wellington, Washington. For them, the moon was always, in their opinion, Tabbit, I ask you, you'd think to hear them talk, no one ever bothered his arse with the moon before. Make a cat swallow his whiskers. They think they've discovered the moon. <laughs> as if, as if. <laughs> what was I driving at? So, you're against progress, are you? Progress, progress. Progress is all very fine and grand. There's such a thing, I grant you. But it's scientific progress. Scientific. The moon's not progress. Lunacy, lunacy. Ah, there I'm with you. Progress is scientific, and the moon... The moon. That's the way it is. The wisdom of the ancients, that's the trouble. They don't give a rap or a snap for it anymore. And the world going to rack and ruin. Wouldn't it be better now to go back to the old maxims and not be gallivanting, off killing one another in China over the moon? Ah, when I think of my poor father. Your father. Oh, that reminds me. I knew your father well. There was a man for you, old Mr. Cream. What he had to say, he lashed out with it straight from the shoulder, and no humming and horn. <laughs> now it comes back to me. One year there on the town council, me father told me, must have been, oh, wait now till I see, 95, 95 or 6, a short while before he resigned. 95, that's it. The year of the Great Frost. Ah, I beg your pardon. The Great Frost was 93. I just turned 10. 93, Gorman, the Great Frost. Me father used to tell the story how Mr. Cream went hell for leather for the mare. Who was he in those days? Must have been Overend. Yes. Overend. Ah, there you're mistaken, my dear Gorman. My father went on the council with Overend in 97. January 97. Well, well, that may be, that may be. But it must have been 95 or 6, just the same. Seeing as how my father went off in 96. April 96. 
there was a set against him and he had to give in his resignation. Well then, your father was off when it happened. All I know is mine went on with Overend in 97, the year Marable was burnt out. Ah, Marable. Yeah. It wasn't 500 yards from the door. 500 yards, Mr. Cream. Oh, I can still hear me poor mother saying to us, ah, poor dear Maria, she was saying to me again only last night. January 96, that's right. 97, I tell you, 97, uh, the year my father was voted on. Yeah, 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 that may be, but just the same, the clout he gave Overend, that's right. Now I have it. The clout was Oscar Bliss, the butcher in Pollock Street. The butcher in Pollock Street. There's a memory from the dim, distant past for you. Didn't he have a daughter, do you remember? Helen. Helen Bliss. Pretty girl. She'd be my age. 83 saw the light of day. And Rosie Plumpton. Oh, bonnie Rosie. Staring up at the lid these 30 years she must be now. And Molly Berry. And Eva... Uh, what was her name? Eva Hart. That's right. Eva Hart. Didn't she marry a Crumplin? Her brother. Her brother Alfred married Gertie Crumplin. Great one for the lads she was, you remember? Gertie, great one for the lads. Oh, do I remember Gertie Crumplin. Great bit of skirt, boy God. Oh, great bit of skirt. <laughs> yeah, old dog, yeah. And Nellie Crowther. There's one came to a nasty end. Simon's daughter, that's right. The parents were greatly to blame, you can take it from me. They reared her well then, just the same. Bled themselves white for her, so they did. Poor Mary used to tell us all, we were very close in those days, lived on the same landing, you know. Poor Mary, yes, she used to say, what a drain it was, having the child boarding out at St. Teresa's. <laughs> Can you imagine? Very classy. Daughters of the gentry, Mr. Cream. Even taught French they were, the young ladies. Isn't that what I'm telling you? Reared her like a princess of the blood they did. French. Now I ask you, French. Would you blame them, Mr. Cream? The best of parents. You can't deny it. Education. French. French. Isn't that what I'm saying? They denied themselves everything. Take the bits out of their mouths they would for their Nelly. Don't be telling me they had her on a string all the same, the said young lady. Remember that holy week? 1912, was it? Or 13? Hey! When you think of Simon, the man he was, don't be telling me that. Holy Week 1913, now it all comes back to me. Is that like as if they had her on a string, what she did then? Peace to our ashes, Mr. Cream. Principles, Gorman. Principles. Without principles, I ask you. Wasn't there an army man in it? Hey. Wasn't there an army man in it? In the car. Hey? An army man in the car. In the Crowther blow-up. Oh, you mean the Lieutenant Sinjin Fitzball? Sinjin Fitzball, that's the man. Wasn't he mixed up in it? Uh, they were keeping company, all right. He died in 14. Wounds. And his aunt, Miss Hester? Dead, then, these how many years is it now? How many? Oh, she was a great old one. A little on the high and mighty side, perhaps, you might say. Take fire like gunpowder, but a heart of gold if you only knew. Her niece has a chip of the old block, wouldn't you say? Her niece? No recollection? No recollection? Miss Victoria. Oh, come on now. She was to have married an American, and she's in the turrets yet. I thought they'd sold. 
Sell the turrets, is it? They'll never sell. The family seat, three centuries and maybe more. Three centuries, Mr. Cream. You might be their historiographer, Gorman, to hear you talk. What you don't know about those people? Historiographer, no, Mr. Cream. I wouldn't go so far as that, but... Miss Victoria, right enough, I know her through and through. We stop and have a gas, like when her aunt was still in it. Ah, yes. Nothing hoity-toity about Miss Victoria. You can take my word, she has a great chip of the old block. Hadn't she a brother? The Luton, yes. Died in 14. Wounds. The bloody cars. Such a thing as a quiet chat, I ask you. Well, I'll be slipping along. I'm holding you back from your work. Slipping along? What would you want, slipping along? And we only after meeting for once in a blue moon. Well then, just a minute and smoke a quick one. What did I do with those cigarettes? Now you fire ahead, don't mind me. When you think. When you think. The Old Tune by Samuel Beckett, adapted from the radio play La Manivelle by Robert Panget. Barry McGovern played Mr. Cream, and Eamon Morrissey played Gorman. The play was directed by Connell Morrison. Sound design and sound supervision were by Damien Chanel and Michael Stapleton. The producer was Kevin Brew. The series producer of Drama on One is Kevin Reynolds. The radio version was based on the stage production of the play from the Enniskillen Happy Days Beckett Festival in 2018. The play was broadcast by kind permission of the estate of Samuel Beckett. The programme was funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with the television licence fee. And to listen back to the old tune, All That Fall, Watt and hundreds of plays in the Drama Archive, have a look at rte.ie forward slash drama on one. Next, In the Wings, and in this week's edition, director Daniel Reardon discusses a piece of monologue by Samuel Beckett, which is next week's Drama on One. A piece of monologue by Samuel Beckett was written in English for actor David Warlow in 1979 and performed by him in New York in 1980, first published by Kenyon Review in 1979. The original title for the piece was Gone. My name is Daniel Reardon. I'm the director of A Piece of Monologue by Samuel Beckett with Barry McGovern. I, I first heard of A Piece of Monologue through Barry McGovern, who just happened to mention, I said, oh, I, I must read that. That sounds very interesting. Uh, I knew it had been written for the, the famous Bikettian actor in New York, David Warlow. But 
here in, in Ireland and in the world, really, Barry McGovern has become the, the interpreter, the definitive giver of Samuel Beckett's texts. Not just the, the prose, but uh, the wonderful, the incandescent performances that he gives as Vladimir Estragon, the whole lot uh, that he's done over the years. It's always a privilege to watch him on stage. It's always wonderful to listen to him on the radio. And it's been great to, to work with him. Now, this, this piece just came across as, as one astonishingly poetic and evocative line after line. And Barry gives it this, this rhythm in such a way that it makes them mesmeric. And what he, what he does in the, in the uh, performance, this, this particular kind of rhythm, there's no variation really, it seems to me, to my ears, there's no variation in the pacing or no undue colouring or any... He inhabits it. He inhabits the text. And for that reason, the listener goes right inside, right inside Barry McGovern's head. And it's a, it's a magnificent experience. And I, I hope it's enjoyed by, by the, all the listeners who are lucky enough to come into contact with it. I feel very, very privileged. Kevin Reynolds asked me to to be a part of this recording and I, I'm just thrilled and very, very grateful. And in that edition of In the Wings, you heard director Daniel Reardon discussing a piece of monologue by Samuel Beckett, which will be our drama on one next week. In the Wings is produced by Kevin Reynolds. Next, an excerpt from Malone Dies, read by Barry McGovern, from the CD box set Samuel Beckett Three Novels, produced by RTE and the Lannan Foundation in 2006, with Tim Lahan as producer. I shall soon be quite dead at last, in spite of all. Perhaps next month. Then it'll be the month of April or of May. For the year is still young, a thousand little signs tell me so. Perhaps I am wrong. Perhaps I shall survive St. John the Baptist's Day, and even the 14th of July, Festival of Freedom. Indeed, I would not put it past me to pant on to the Transfiguration, not to speak of the Assumption. But I do not think so. I do not think I am wrong in saying that these rejoicings will take place in my absence this year. I have that feeling. I have had it now for some days, and I credit it. But in what does it differ from those that have abused me ever since I was born? No, that is the kind of bait I do not rise to any more. My need for prettiness is gone. I could die today if I wished, merely by making a little effort, if I could wish, if I could make an effort. But it is just as well to let myself die quietly, without rushing things. Something must have changed. I will not weigh upon the balance any more, one way or the other. I shall be neutral and inert. No difficulty there. Throws are the only trouble. I must be on my guard against throws. But I am less given to them now since coming here. Of course, I still have my little fits of impatience from time to time. I must be on my guard against them for the next fortnight or three weeks. Without exaggeration, to be sure, quietly crying and laughing, without working myself up into a state. Yes, I shall be natural at last. I shall suffer more, then less, without drawing any conclusions. I shall pay less heed to myself. I shall be neither hot nor cold any more. I shall be tepid. I shall die tepid, without enthusiasm. I shall not watch myself die. That would spoil everything. Have I watched myself live? Have I ever complained? Then why rejoice now? I am content, necessarily, but not to the point of clapping my hands. 
I was always content, knowing I would be repaid. There he is now, my old debtor. Shall I then fall on his neck? I shall not answer any more questions. I shall even try not to ask myself any more. While waiting, I shall tell myself stories, if I can. They will not be the same kind of stories as hitherto, that is all. They will be neither beautiful nor ugly. They will be calm. There will be no ugliness or beauty or fever in them any more. They will be almost lifeless, like that teller. What was that I said? It does not matter. I look forward to their giving me great satisfaction. Some satisfaction. I am satisfied. There, I have enough. I am repaid. I need nothing more. Let me say, before I go any further, that I forgive nobody. I wish them all an atrocious life, and then the fires and ice of hell, and in the execrable generations to come, an honoured name. Enough for this evening. This time I know where I am going. It is no longer the ancient night, the recent night. Now it is a game I am going to play. I never knew how to play till now. I longed to, but I knew it was impossible. And yet I often tried. I turned on all the lights. I took a good look all round. I began to play with what I saw. People and things ask nothing better than to play. Certain animals, too. All went well at first. They all came to me, pleased that someone should want to play with them. If I said, now I need a hunchback, immediately one came running, proud as punch of his fine hunch that was going to perform. It did not occur to him that I might have to ask him to undress. But it was not long before I found myself alone in the dark. That is why I gave up trying to play and took to myself forever shapelessness and speechlessness, incurious wondering, darkness, long stumbling with outstretched arms, hiding. Such is the earnestness from which, for nearly a century now, I have never been able to depart. You heard an excerpt from Malone Dies, read by Barry McGovern, from the CD box set Samuel Beckett Three Novels produced by RTE and the Lannan Foundation in 2006, with Tim Lahan as producer. Included in the box set is an illustrated booklet on the writer's life and work, also written by Jerry Dukes. To listen back to this and hundreds of plays in the Drama Archive, have a look at rte.ie forward slash drama on one. rte.ie forward slash drama on one.